Well, I have two kids, and my son and daughter both play sports, and I coach their sports. Uh, my son plays baseball, and he is eight. And this year is our first year of playing kid pitch. Now, there's a lot behind that statement, and I, you may not know what that means, uh, but there is a lot behind the statement of, of kid pitch when you're eight years old. That comes with a lot of things. And I found out once we entered into the league that we were going to be playing against also nine-year-olds. Uh, we have a couple of seven-year-olds, and we'll be playing against some kids who will turn 10. And uh, my boys have never played kid pitch, and so I, I have to be honest, I didn't expect much from my, my team. Uh, I was a little concerned of what our first game was going to look like. But I have to be honest, uh, we did really well. We lost, um, but, but we did really well. We, we did better than expected. I, I mean, they were still eight, seven, eight-year-old boys, right? There was still a lot of dancing that was taking place in the field. Uh, there was a lot of dirt that was thrown and played with. The trains would come by and everyone would turn and, and look at the, the train. And I have, I have one boy um, who struggles hitting sometimes. And his first time up at bat, he got hit by a pitch. And I was like, that is one of the worst uh, things that could happen to my, my player. And so he gets to go to first base, and he makes it around, and he actually scores. Well, his next time up to bat, he strikes out, and he comes to the side, and I, you know, I tell him he did okay and good try, and he says this to me. He says, I just don't want to get hit with the ball again. He said, but when I do, I get to go to first base. And I was like, I know, there's this struggle, right? Like, you don't want it, but you want it, and... But I got to be honest, the, the expectations that I had for them uh, were exceeded. It went well. Game one, uh, I'll share next Sunday what happens this week, but, but it exceeded my expectations. Can you remember a time in your life where what you expected of a situation, of a person, of a circumstance, it went better than you expected? Like an interview or a test that you had to take, maybe admitting to your parents that you had made a mistake and afterwards, like that went better than expected. Or dealing with conflict. Can you think of a time in your own life where things went better than expected? As you came into Trinity today, what were you expecting? What, what do you expect from God or of God? Or what do you think about God? Or more importantly, what do you think God thinks about you? How, how about how life has not gone as you've expected? Like that's the more difficult one, right? Right? When you have an expectation of people or circumstances or things, and you get let down, that's hard. I've been at Trinity now. This is my 13th Easter here. In my first Easter here, my daughter uh, was six months old, and this was her first Easter. And so I was excited. It was my, my first uh, Easter here at Trinity as a staff person, and it was an exciting day, and my, my daughter, who's six months old, as you can imagine, is in a beautiful Easter dress, and I was sitting about five rows back with, with Kennedy on my lap, and all of a sudden, I, I kind of I got a whiff of something, and uh, I, I realized uh, that, you know, that, that Kennedy had uh, had a, not an accident, she had gone to the bathroom in uh, her, her diaper, and uh, I expected that that diaper would nicely contain everything, right? And so I, I moved her to situate, and I realized that it is all over me, and all over her, and up her back and her dress. And, and in that moment, I, you know, you don't know what to do. And so I just, I just walk out, and I figure, I'll just figure it out when I get out there. And as I get out there, I can't find diapers, I can't find wipes. It's an exciting Easter Sunday, and so I don't walk back in with 
poop all over my, uh, my clothes. And so I just sit outside waiting for someone to come along and help me. And, and finally, someone comes along. And at that time, we just lived uh, across the street. And so I walk home and I, I change. But I have to, expect, I have to explain, uh, that's not what I expected on my first Sunday morning. And each year, I feel like it's gotten better uh, here at, at Trinity. And I have good expectations of today. But in all seriousness, things don't always go as planned. And if you're like me, there have been some things in your life that have hurt. You you have experienced an insurmountable amount of pain. Uh, Some of these have come from your own choices. Like you've made some choices and things just didn't end up as you wanted them to. For a lot of us, it's been the choices of other people. People have hurt us. We have our struggles because of what people have done. And sometimes there's just no one or anything to blame. But what I know to be true is it's in those moments that we feel hopeless. Like we often wonder who or where or what can I turn to or cling to to find hope. So where is your hope today? Or have you found yourself in a place of hopelessness? And you're searching for something to help you. And so the things that have hurt you or disappointed you, things that have caused physical, emotional, or spiritual pain, things that have led to struggles or immense grief, these things have been painful. And maybe you have believed your entire life that there's no hope, there's no purpose, there's no point to any of this. What if you could begin to believe that there was hope even for the hopeless? That there is hope even in those times where it seems like there is none. In the darkest moments of your life. What if there was someone or something you could cling to? See, I believe the message of Easter really is this message of hope for everyone. Nobody is too far gone. There hasn't been too much that has happened to you. That you haven't been able to escape God or run from God. That there is still hope for you, that there is hope for everyone. Uh, We're going to look at a story that kind of sets the table for for three kind of case studies we're going to quickly look at today. And this is going to be a moment where I believe Jesus kind of explains why he came. And then this is going to lead us to three stories. Uh, We're going to look at a passage that's found in the Gospel of Luke. This is just an account of the life of Jesus. If you don't own a Bible, there hopefully is a Bible somewhere around you. You can use that Bible. You can have that Bible. We would love to give that to you. That's our gift to you um, today. And so if you don't own one, please take that. But we're going to look at it. The page number on the screen will be for that Bible. It says this. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He taught in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and on Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as was his custom. As he stood up to read, the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. So just real briefly, nothing unusual has happened yet. 
Uh, this was not uncommon. Uh, Jesus grew up in a Jewish home. They would go to synagogue. He was at a place in life where he would have been called on to read scripture. And it just so happens that he's handed the scroll from the prophet Isaiah. Now, this is not just any scripture. This is not just any story. This thing that had been written hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus stands before this group of people is pointing to him. But right now, no one would have thought anything about it. But it says the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked? The people who listened begin to say, hey, isn't that the guy who put the addition onto your house? Isn't this just Joseph's son? Isn't he the one that shiplapped your bathroom the other day? This is just a carpenter's son. But there's so much more that is happening here. See, the people are anticipating someone who is going to come and rescue and save. And Jesus reads, I am him. I am the one that you've been waiting for. I am the one who has come. I'm here to preach good news to the poor because there wasn't much good news for the poor. That he was there to proclaim freedom, recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This was an unexpected thing that happens in these people's midst. They would hear scripture read all the time, but Jesus makes the announcement that that which I have just read is pointing to me, that I'm bringing good news Good news to the poor who is often overlooked and on the margins and forgotten. That I'm bringing freedom, freedom to the physical prisoners, but also freedom to those who are in their own prisons. That I'm going to heal, I'm going to physically heal people, but I'm going to give spiritual insight to people to see who I am. That he's going to fight injustice. This is who God is, that he fights against things that are not right or just that he'll fight against systems that had been set up to keep people oppressed, that he will destroy barriers and open boundaries that keep people from experiencing God. And it's in that moment that these people who were listening were experiencing the physical presence of God and what he had come to accomplish. He comes in love and he comes to defeat evil and darkness and systems of hate and to give hope to the hopeless. See, it's in this moment Jesus is saying, no one is out of my reach. There is hope for everyone. He is announcing that I have come to bring hope to everyone. See, Jesus was living in a time that was full of injustice, that there were people who were living in oppression. The religious leaders actually were making it harder for people to come to God, as well as the outcasts, the marginalized, those who weren't good enough were pushed to the outside. And it appeared to the average person that God was just simply unreachable, especially to those who needed him most. And Jesus simply says, no, 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 I've come for you. I've come to bring hope to everyone. And so we experience this hope. We experience it at Christmas when we celebrate that God sends Jesus to us. We celebrate it in the life of Jesus. We don't just sit at at Christmas or celebrate Easter, but it's everything in between where we recognize the life that Jesus lived and who Jesus loved and who Jesus invited into something different. 
So let's do just a real quick case study on, on what this matters to a few groups of people. That who experiences hope for themselves personally? Uh, the first one, we're going to look at Matthew 27, 15 through 26. It says this. Now it was the governor's custom at the feast to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd. It's what's called Passover this time. And so at that moment, he had the option to release someone. And it says at that time, they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when the crowd had gathered, Pilate asked them, which do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus who is called Christ? For he knew it was out of envy that they had handed Jesus over to him. While Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent him this message, don't have anything to do with that innocent man, for I've suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. Just a quick side note, uh, if you are married and you are a guy, listen to your wives. Uh, Pilate did not listen in this uh, moment. It says in verse 20, but the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus executed. Which of the two do you want me to release to you? Asked the governor. Barabbas, they answered. What shall I do then with Jesus who is called Christ? We're going to come back to that, but there is so much in that question. Right? Really, that question is for you, and we'll get there in a second, but what shall I do then with Jesus who is called Christ? Pilate asked, and they answered, crucify him. Why? What, what crime has he committed, asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. When Pilate saw that, this was, that he was getting nowhere, but that instead an uproar was starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd. I am innocent of this man's blood, he said. It is your responsibility. And all the people answered, let his blood be on us and our children. Then he released Barabbas to them. But he had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. Can you just get the picture here? That we have Barabbas who is a criminal, but not just a criminal. He is a notorious, known criminal. And he is standing next to Jesus who has done no wrong. Barabbas deserves to be in chains. What is coming to him in that day was spoken for him. It was determined because of what he had done. He deserved death. He was a murderer and a rebel. And according to his crime, he deserved the punishment. He deserved death. He was simply just waiting for the moment to come where he would be executed. He expected death. And Barabbas knew there was nothing he could do to save himself. And he was standing next to the one, Jesus, who could bring hope to even Barabbas in that moment. And Jesus, in that moment, could have saved himself. He had the power and the ability to, to stop everything. Yet he doesn't. Pilate remembered that in this time, he had a custom to where he could release a prisoner. That what he deserved, Barabbas couldn't shake. He couldn't get away from it. He couldn't set himself free. He knew his life was ruined and over And there is no way the crowd would release Barabbas. But as Pilate gives the invitation, the people demand to have Barabbas released. Jesus, who has done no wrong, but 
He has healed people. He has set people free. He has brought people out of darkness. He has delivered them from the demonic. He is the one who will be crucified. He has simply preached a message of love and stands next to this known notorious criminal. And it is the religious people who begin to push for Jesus to be crucified and to set Barabbas free. And he asks again. It's almost like Pilate isn't really sure of what is about to happen. And he asks again. And they cry out even more, give us Barabbas. And so Barabbas, who is waiting to put to death, walks off the platform as he is set free from his chains. He stands before the crowd in bondage, ready to die, and in a moment has found his freedom and has found his life. His freedom comes at the expense of Jesus. His freedom comes because the unexpected happens. This is the first time and the moment that is going to lead to the cross where we see Jesus give his life for someone. That what Barabbas deserved, he doesn't get. And Jesus takes it on for himself. We see in this moment even God's love for Barabbas. I don't know how, you, how bad you think you are. Like, I don't know how, how far you think you have gone from God I don't, I don't know if you think you have escaped the love of God, but Barabbas, a notorious criminal, criminal, a murderer who is leading a rebellion, is set free? Here, here's the truth. We're a lot like Barabbas. We're a lot like Barabbas in the sense that you can never set yourself free. You can't shake it. You can't work hard enough for it. You can't do more good than you have done bad. We have to have someone who will come alongside of us and set us free, who will take our place. And so no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, no matter where you find yourself now, Jesus has taken our place. And we too can find freedom and hope. This is a scandalous love. A love that is dependent on the character of God and not the choices that we have made. And so the difference is, will we acknowledge that we are hopeless and cannot be set free without the sacrifice that was made on the cross by Jesus? Because I'm not sure if there was ever a response by Barabbas. I'm not sure if Barabbas ever realized what had been done on his behalf. Does Barabbas walk off the platform and look back to see Jesus there waiting to give his life. We don't know. But can you acknowledge, one, your need? Can you acknowledge the hopeless place maybe you find yourself? And for many of us, we have worked so hard to get ourselves out of that place. But it is by grace and grace alone that we can be set free. And so just as God loves Barabbas and offers him a new future, he does the same for you and for me. And so Jesus takes Barabbas' place and he moves to a place where there are crosses. And it wasn't just Jesus who was going to lose his life today, but there were other criminals. And Jesus finds himself between two other criminals. My thought is that was the cross that was set before Barabbas. And maybe these two thieves, these two criminals even knew Barabbas. They expected Barabbas to be on the cross next to them, but yet it is Jesus who hangs there beside them. 
Luke 23, 39 through 43 says this. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said? Since you are under the same sentence, we are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man, he's done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. See, the first criminal mocks Jesus. Hey, aren't you the one who said that you would set us free? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why don't you do that? Why don't you prove to me who you are? Set yourself free and set us free. But Jesus doesn't respond. He doesn't say anything. And see, what the criminal doesn't understand or see is the act of Jesus hanging next to him is what could set him free. The fact that Jesus is giving his life is the only way that that guy could truly be free. And then you have the second criminal who looks across Jesus to the other one and says, are you crazy? See, he understood the position he was in. He understood that he was getting what he deserved. And he understood that Jesus was the only one who could save him. And I think the criminal knew that he wasn't getting off the cross, but I think somehow he believed that there was more, that there was hope for something more. And so he says, could you? What would you? Would you remember me when we pass from this place to the next, as you enter into your kingdom, as you enter into paradise, could you? Would you possibly remember me? See, he gets it. He doesn't deserve it, but he wants it. He knows he needs it, and he asks the only one who can give it to him. There's no bargaining, no plea. If you do this, I'll do my part. Just a plea from a man who deserved death but wanted to be set free. And Jesus answers, yeah. Yeah, today, not, not tomorrow, today, you will be with me in paradise. Oh, wait, wait. The, the, the criminal can't earn it, right? It's, it's too late for the criminal to come off the cross and to volunteer somewhere. It, it's, it's too late for him to come off the cross and to, to give some money to someone. It, it's too late for him to, to weigh the scales and to try and do more good than bad. There is absolutely nothing the criminal can do in that moment but to ask, but to ask. There's nothing I can give to receive this. But could you? Would you just remember me? And Jesus does. He can't fix himself. He can't clean himself up. He realizes his hope is in Jesus, in Jesus alone. And so I don't know what you think about God. I don't know what you think about the church. I don't know what you think about religion or spirituality. But, but I know for many of us, we, we think that there's certain things we need to do to earn our way back to God. But if we see the story here, this criminal can do nothing. There is nothing he can do but to receive and to ask. And so you, you may even wonder how you have found yourself here today, back in church again. 
Like some of you maybe haven't been here for a long time. You may think, man, I don't read my Bible. I don't know if I've ever really prayed. Uh, maybe you are in fear of walking into this place of what could happen because you have walked into a church building and everything is okay for you to be here. Right? There, there is absolutely nothing you can do. There's nothing. Paul, someone who experiences it, says there is nothing that could separate you from the love of God. Let me, let me say that. There is nothing that could separate you from the love of God. And this criminal experiences it, and although he loses his life on the cross, there is something more for him when he passes into the next world. It is the actions of Jesus again on the cross that sets him free. This is a scandalous kind of love, a love that brings hope to everyone. And so Jesus, he gives up his life on the cross. They they take him down and he is placed in a tomb and a large rock is rolled over the opening and Jesus has died. There, there's this period of time where his closest followers who had been with him for three years as Jesus performs miracles, they walk away from him in the last hours of his life. It's now Saturday. It is in between Jesus' death and his resurrection and they are in this place of silence. They don't know what's next. The one they had believed in and followed is gone. They're lost. And so they go back. They, they go back to life pre-Jesus. They go back fishing and they, they just go back to who they were. And so I don't, I don't know if you've ever been at that place. I don't know if you were following Jesus. I don't know if you were at a place where things were going well and then something happened. The unexpected comes up. The pain comes. Doubt creeps in. You begin to question what you believe or circumstances change and you find yourself going back to pre-Jesus. And that's where these disciples find themselves, except for the women. The, the women have a different response. Luke 24, 1 through 10. It says, on the first day of the week, Sunday... Very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They would have brought these spices and oils to cover the stench of death. It says, they found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the man said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. See, as the other disciples don't know what to do, the women go to take care of the body, to go and serve again Jesus. And it's when they get there, they find the rock rolled away, and the tomb is open, and Jesus is gone. And there is this statement why are you looking for he who is alive where you would find something that is dead? Jesus is not here. He is 
risen. And so I think for some of us, we often will go to places where there is no life. We will go back to things that lead to oppression. We'll go back to things that force us to become prisoners again. And we go into those situations of death looking for hope and life, and you will not find it. And so in that moment, they tell the women, he is risen and he is alive. And then they remember. And what do they do? They go back and they tell the disciples. It is the women who go and proclaim the good news for the first time. Now, that, that's a great story in itself. But if you understand the culture of that day, it means even more. Why is that so significant? See, you have to understand during that day, women did not have a voice at all. Uh, they were often devalued. Uh, they were insignificant. So much so, they could not testify in court. Their witness was not believed. However, this is who God says you're going to be the one that shares the good news. You're going to be the one who is the first witness to what has happened. God was destroying the systems of the world that devalued any person, specifically women. He is turning things upside down and affirming the full dignity of women and the value of their witness. Again, this is the way that God was saying that the message of Jesus and the hope that has come through his death on the cross and the resurrection is for everyone, for everyone, every race, every age, every culture, every gender, every place in our world. This hope is for everyone. And Jesus spent his life breaking down any system that devalued anybody. And so it was in this moment that we see that God pointing to the hope that he was bringing that he's breaking barriers, that he's destroying boundaries and demonstrating his love for all people. And he's saying there is no outsider for the kingdom of God. And it's in this moment, it's in the resurrection, that God has defeated sin and darkness and death. When the unexpected happens, when you experience the most painful thing in your life, I hope that you will cling to the truth that evil does not win. That darkness will not rule your moments forever. I don't know if you heard, but just in the, in the few hours leading into Easter for us in Sri Lanka, uh, there were churches that were bombed. As people gathered together to celebrate who God is and his love. The last I had heard, over 200 people were, were killed. As we talked about, if you were here on Friday... We call it Good Friday. There, there is darkness and evil, and it feels like it is going to win. But it is because of the resurrection. It is because that Jesus is alive. We can cling to a hope that evil will not win, that evil does not win, that darkness will not prevail, that Jesus has the last word, that he is risen, that he has been defeated, and God is and will make all things right. And that is for everyone who believes. Do you believe this? Do, do you believe that you could experience hope today? If you've experienced hope, do you believe that you are a conduit of hope for other people, for all people? That we fight against anything that is full of hate or bigotry or injustice? 
because that is what Jesus did. That we are called as followers of Jesus to be people who talk about hope, that share hope with the people that we rub shoulders with. Are you not quite sure? Do you, do you still believe that you could shake yourself from your own bondage, that you could work yourself out of it? Do you think your goodness or success determines the hope that you experience and the love that God has for you? Or could it be true? Could on this Sunday morning, could it be true that there is hope for everyone? It's John 3, 16, 17, that God so loved the world, that's you, that he has not come to condemn but to save, not to leave us hopeless but to give us hope. And so can I just quickly repeat the question that Pilate asks? What shall I do then with Jesus who is called the Christ? We all have to wrestle with that. What will you do? What will you do with Jesus who is called the Christ? My hope is that today, today, you will believe that that hope is for you. That you will respond. Uh, In Romans 10, Paul, who was a follower of Jesus after killing Christians and thinking he was outside of God's plans, says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It is a belief in what God has done for you. And so I hope in these last moments that even for you, there would be a moment where you could confess that Jesus is Lord, that he is ruler of your life, that the only way you'll experience hope is because of him. We're going to sing that last song that we sang. And so uh, if you guys will come up and, and join us who were singing earlier. But it is in the resurrection that we're able to sing this song. That chains fall off because of what God has done. And so what were you expecting today? What were you expecting God to do in your life? I have been expecting something today. I have been expecting for you to experience that there is hope available to you. And I have been expecting that God would speak to you, not me, but that God would encourage you. That no matter where you find yourself right now, and you may feel extremely hopeless, that there is hope. There is hope in the darkest hour of your life. Would you cling to that this morning? Would you stand? I'll pray, and we'll sing this song together. God, I'm so thankful for your love. I'm so thankful that today we are hopeful. Even in the midst of darkness and what seems like evil prevailing, Lord, we know that evil doesn't win. How would you make things right? We pray for our brothers and sisters in Sri Lanka who I can only imagine feel hopeless in these moments. God, I pray that there'd be a real sense of your presence with them today. But Lord, may it not take something like that for us. May we believe that where we find ourselves today isn't where we have to stay. That our future doesn't have to be determined by our past. As Barabbas is set free, as the criminal has hope for his future, and as systems of brokenness, as systems of injustice are broken, we can cling to hope. God, would you remind us of that today? Would you help us as we sing and believe that chains are broken because of you? Pray in Jesus' name.